Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. We as an industry are moving so quickly that we haven't had the chance to really take a moment to pause, uh, acknowledge how far we've gotten, and and really you know celebrate those individuals that got us there. Right. So this was my way of contributing to that celebration. Before the Inflation Reduction Act, before the certainty of 10-year tax credits, and before the transformational incentives for domestic manufacturing, working and succeeding in clean energy came with quite a bit of risk. Purpose, sure, but risk nonetheless. I'm John Engel, Content Director for Renewable Energy World. This week on Factor This, we're honoring those risk takers who helped build the clean energy industry into what it is today. We're joined by Tom Wyrick, who chronicled their stories in the new book, We Took the Risk. Tom is a clean energy lifer who now leads North American marketing efforts for EDP renewables and a friend to many in clean energy. Many of you will know Tom from his 12 years at the American Council on Renewable Energy, ACOR. To give us a sneak peek at the book before it's released on October 1st, here's Tom Wyrick. This episode of Factor This is sponsored by Next Tracker. Next Tracker is optimizing energy yields for utility scale solar projects around the world, with over 20 gigawatts of projects benefiting from their proprietary software, True Capture. True Capture software combines advanced sensing and machine learning technologies to help mitigate energy losses and boost plant performance. The increased power production widens the shoulders of the power production curve, leading to better performance lower levelized cost of electricity, and maximized financial returns for asset owners. NextTracker is the only tracker company with proven third-party verified data and measured results that meet or exceed modeled predictions. You can take that extra production to the bank. See those results for yourself. Find the link in the show notes to download their new free white paper now. NextTracker. Solar just got smarter. Well, today's guest on the Factor This podcast is a clean energy lifer and someone that um, I assume a lot of you listening to this probably already know. Tom Wyrick currently leads marketing for EDP Renewables North America and has spent more than a decade uh, or and spent previously more than a decade at the American Council on Renewable Energy, ACOR. He is the author of We Took the Risk, which honors and chronicles the early risk takers in the renewable energy industry, available everywhere on October 1st. Tom, first, congratulations on the book, and thanks for joining the podcast. Definitely. Well, John, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So I I guess the question that I I have to ask and that everyone else will also ask you, uh, what was the inspiration for writing the book? How did you go from being more of a a storyteller for brands and, and companies and leaders in the space to wanting to share their stories in a kind of a different fashion. Definitely, definitely. There was, was a confluence of really two events that happened about uh, four, uh, three to four years ago, right? So the first one was 
Uh, one of my mentors, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Holmberg, who had worked for, for a number of years at ACOR, the American Council on Renewable Energy on Biomass and Biofuels Initiatives, uh, had passed away. And I, uh, you know, stupidly was on a business trip and I, could just, I couldn't make his funeral when he had passed away. And uh, it really has haunted me. And I said, you know, Bill deserved a lot more for me uh, on that front. So I decided, well, let me write uh, on the anniversary of his death, you know, let me write an op-ed and work with a couple of biofuels and biomass magazines to to publish his story and and how he got to where he got to in biofuels and the impact he created for the industry. So that was going on in the background, and I started interviewing a couple of biomass and biofuel CEOs to get some background and research on that op-ed. And all these stories were coming up that I didn't know uh, about individuals who really did pave the way for many of our current careers. So. You know, that was going on on uh, in the background. And then uh, a professor of mine from, from my alma mater, George Oyen University, uh, Eric Kester, reached out to me. And uh, he had set up an institute called the Creator Institute, whose mission it is to publish uh, a thousand first-time authors every year and, and really help develop, quote-unquote, this concept of a big idea, uh, primarily used with uh, development of startups, right? And so uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I've been following you all these years uh, and you have a story to tell in renewables. Uh, I think you should tell it. And I had rebuffed him for a couple of years saying, hey, I don't have time, right? I'm doing all this marketing work um, at EDP and, and other places. And uh, listen, I, let, me, let me come back to you. And uh, funny enough, he had reached out to me right when I started writing this op-ed on Bill Holmberg. And kind of the two things came together. And I thought, okay, well, let me expand this and actually have this work be uh, a work focusing on those early risk takers, including Bill Holmberg. So the last chapter is on Bill Holmberg. It's kind of the capstone chapter. Uh, ironically enough, it was the first chapter I wrote. So that's, that's how it all came together. And it's funny how fate works that way. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, when did the process begin for you? How long have you been working on this? You know, it's been an expedited process. So through this Creator Institute, um, you basically participate in a, in a 14-week program that takes you through uh, basically it's almost an executive MBA, right, on book writing, on on theory of writing, on the publishing industry, right, on how to pitch your manuscript, basically everything consolidated into 14 to 18 weeks. And so um, I did this in a year and a half, which is pretty fast for a book. Um, wow. But luckily, I was, I was really shocked, though, um, because every time I reached out, so I, I reached out to about 150 executives. Uh, and to my shock and, and delight, right, um, all but one got back to me within an hour of me writing an email or me doing a phone call asking for their story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of my biggest, uh, I would say, um, one of the biggest uh, things that I, I couldn't get to in this book is just featuring all of them. There's, there's just so many stories out there, right? So I'm, I'm half terrified for this to be released because I, I know I missed out on a lot of people, but I'm, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to finding out, you know, who those individual individuals are and, and hopefully, you know, maybe doing something in the future to, to honor those folks. Yeah. Yeah, there's the sequel. It's already ready before the first one drops. That's, that's a, <laughs> exactly. It's a good runway exactly. for you. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and in telling the stories of these leaders in the space, you're also hitting on some of these milestone moments for the industry, right? I, I know Correct. that um, I, I saw some promo material that you alluded to the the Sun Edison PPA, and I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming Jigger Shaw has a men mention oh, or two does. in this yeah. book. Um, what were some of those uh, steps along the the journey that you were able to address in this book, and in, in terms of these industries really growing up over the last couple of decades. You know, it's interesting. In the beginning of the book, I kind of, and, and lay on my thesis in the case of the book, right? Um, you know, this backdrop of this ever-changing industry really has formed many of our careers, right? Your, your my careers included, right? So 
you know, I basically began in the 1970s um, around the Carter administration, right? And the oil crisis is there and then kind of moved upwards in trajectory. Um, Enron, of course, molded many of the folks we work with, right? So went through the case of Enron and then through the 90s, right? Through the ITC and PTC roller coaster rides we've been on and so forth. So it's been really interesting to juxtaposition um, those careers the, and those individuals and those leaders that I featured against those events that monumentally shifted and in many cases actually fueled the risk-taking needed by these leaders, right, uh, in, in taking on these industries. So uh, I would say everything from the oil embargo of the 70s, like I said, the Enron crisis and the overall creation of PURPA and many of those regulatory uh, mandates, right, that we saw at West all the way through to creation of many departments we work with today and many of the financing platforms, right? So you mentioned the PPA, right? And, and Sun Edison, I, I think in many ways, can be credited with creation yeah. of the first commercial CNI PPA, but also a PPA, uh, but also, you know, looking at other things that were created, uh, for example, the creation of IPOs uh, in the renewables industry. And that, that alone, that honor goes to John Cavalier, who in during his career and He's still in it, right? So I don't want to say his career has ended, but in the beginning of his career, he, he launched eight to nine IPOs, right? So these were the first IPOs in industry. So many of these folks really did monumental things, which we today, you know, consider mainstream. You know, we do this on a daily uh, daily fashion. But back then, these were revolutionary things. Um, you know, I, I always think back another, uh, you know, another stakeholder I mentioned in the book is uh, Nancy Floyd, who was the first female venture capitalist, right? And the first female like wind developer, you know, they thought she was just absolutely crazy in the 80s when she said, hey, let's let's build some wind turbines and, and test out this technology in the ultimate pass outside of San Francisco. And, uh, you know, to her credit, she got it done. So uh, it's truly been monumental. I think that the book really um, goes by not only history and the environment by which these risk takers operated in, but also the financial mechanisms they created, the policies they had to work around or they had to influence, right, uh, as well as the technologies that kept on evolving as they were themselves building out their businesses. Hey, Factor This listeners, it's John Ingle. I wanted to let you know that you can now watch every new episode of the Factor This podcast on YouTube. Just search Renewable Energy World and leave a rating and review while you're there. Thanks for listening. It's wonderful timing, too, because this releases, you know, uh, only a couple of months after the, the signing of the Inflation Reduction Act and the monumental piece of legislation that that is in this clean energy um, history and and journey to to see the country after decades of pushing from the enviros, but also the clean energy folks to pass something that addressed not only climate, but industrial policy. This book chronicles each of those steps that ultimately culminate with this amazing piece of legislation that we, we are all to benefit from now. Is that, was that a little surreal seeing when that, the the secret deal between Manchin and Schumer came out and you're, you're like, well, I got this book dropping in two months. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sure that was a little interesting for you. It, it was. I mean, as a marketer, I wish I could claim that this was beautifully orchestrated and this was all key, you know, key milestones <laughs> that I planned in the launch of this book. But yeah, with the book launching October 1st, you know, uh, it was perfect timing. And I think it's a it's a credit when I look at the IRA, right, and, and all the legislation and all the work that went into it. I think back to these leaders who were the foundations, they were the cornerstones to why we're fighting for many of the things that were passed under the IRA and, and, and the vision that we need, right, to fuel this next evolution of renewables. And that's basically the call to action in this book, right? It is for us to be risk-taking. We need to take on risks again. You know, we become, as an industry, very mature. 
we're being told in our, in our daily workplaces, hey, mitigate risk, stay away from risk, uh, be risk averse. But, you know, my thesis, my big claim here is, listen, actually, we need to do the opposite. We need to be risk taking again if we want to get to this next evolution of of, of renewables growth. And with the IRA, we have the, the wind to our back. So let's let's take those risks again and, and let's see where they take us. What's one story that that sticks out to you? And, and you don't need to just pick one. We have plenty of time. This is a podcast, so there's no hard out. Um, what's that? What's one story that jumps out to you as being the the biggest surprise in your research in in these conversations you were having that you were caught off guard by? Anything come to mind? You know, it's not one story. All of them are impressive in their own ways, right? I I you know basically narrowed down my interviews. So from the 150, I narrowed down to 100. Then I had to do the painstaking um, research of and, and and judgment of narrowing it down even further to 25, right? So. Uh, you know, I think uh, no one story sticks out. I think what was fascinating, though, um, and this is kind of the, the overlay over the book, right, is I, I want this book not only to be a conglomeration of of histories or, or glorified LinkedIn profiles, right, of of these uh, risk takers and what they did and what they did. I also wanted to add in a little bit of um, a learning lesson for all of us as to traits that they all embodied. Right. And all of them embodied specific traits that got them to where they are. And what's really interesting is, is uh, even though I, I tag each of these uh, risk takers to a certain trait, they actually all shared the same traits um, that I talk about in the book. Also, they all knew each other. Hmm. And this is what, uh, you know, this is what really stood out for me is the power of community. And that's something that renewables uh, that we have is we have a community of folks that support each other. And all of these risk takers in the span of those 30 years that I cover, they all knew each other. They all interacted with each other. They all supported each other. And I think, you know, um, Scott Sklar, who many of us know in the solar industry is one of the, you know, the, the key lobbyists, right, that got many things started in Washington, uh, Precia and SEPA, right? He uh, called it the coalition of the willing. Uh, you know, I call it the proverbial oak tree. You know, we all are in renewables because we choose to be in renewables, right? We, we want to make an impact. We want to create impact, not only in business, but in the environment. We all voluntarily came together. And that's the key here is, is this community. And I think that story that Scott hit upon, but then every single person hit upon was the power of community, the power of networking, and the and the and you know, as a collective, we're really a formidable force in the renewables industry. And I think that's that's a key story. And that's not necessarily surprising, but to the level we were connected, right? You talk about seven degrees of separation in renewables, I swear it's it's less than one person, one degree of separation, right? In mm. many instances. And I think that's something that I think for those folks coming into the industry is an important lesson that you're coming in, um, hopefully for a lifelong career in renewables, and you need to invest in those relationships because at the end of the day, we're working together. You know, one day we're all working together, the same company, right? The next day you could be across the table negotiating a PPA, uh, working on, a, you know, on, on another form of contract, right? And, and you know, you'll realize the person across the table worked with you. So that that's, I think, one of the important lessons and one of the things that really surprised me was that level of a connection that all these individuals have and continue to have. It is a pretty small fraternity when you think about it. You run into people who who know different connections that you would have never guessed um, mm-hmm. quite often. And I think that was um, exemplified in, in the reaction to you writing a book is that at pretty much every corner of the industry of, of people I know were, were so happy for you and to see that you were embarking on on this effort uh, for, for yourself. So I think that's a testament to your connections throughout this industry and that everywhere I would go, um, we would hear, you know, little snippets of conversations about, you know, here Tom's writing this book and, and all these stories. So 
I think it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think you're absolutely right about the, the communal feeling within this, this industry. You alluded to those traits that are consistent throughout these leaders that you profiled in the book. Can you um, detail some of those for us? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, there's a, there's about 19 of them all together, right? So it's persistence, it's grit, um, it's agility, it's foresight, right? A lot of it deals with the ability to react really quickly to an ever-changing environment, right? And that's been the story of renewables here in the U.S., right? It's con- constantly been an ever-changing environment from from a policy, finance, and technology landscape, right? And at the same time, when many would, would say, okay, I give up, there's just too many factors here changing at once. I think actually for those of us in renewables, uh, those individuals, those uh, professionals have been attracted to renewables, right? We've actually thrived off of that. We, we thrive off the constantly changing nature of this, and we see it as an opportunity versus a challenge, right? So um, yeah, I would say all those traits are there. Um, you know, I, I included a trait called audacity. I, I feel that you have to be audacious in renewables, right? We, we see so many of our leaders today who did audacious moves, right, that got them to where they are. And, and in that instance, actually, that chapter was dedicated to my first boss in renewable energy, which was Michael Eckhart who helped found uh, the American Council on Renewable Energy. And back then, you know, he was audacious. Uh, he wasn't asking for permission. He said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up this organization to be a positive disruptor for the market and to really unite all the renewables technologies under one tent, which was never done before. So I think it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a labor of love in a lot of ways, like you mentioned. And uh, I've just been really encouraged by all the support I've gotten. I've been, quite frankly, shocked. But at the same time, you know, um, so many people have come back to me um, and said, listen, it's important you did this. Um, we as an industry are moving so quickly that we haven't had the chance to really take a moment to pause, uh, acknowledge how far we've gotten and, and really, you know, celebrate those individuals that got us there. Right. So this was my way of contributing to that celebration. And uh, yeah, I was shocked. And, you know, we did pre-sales back in April. Uh, sold over 651 books in three weeks, over $28,000 worth of, of fundraising amazing. that went into this. Uh, really amazing. And uh, to the point about community, the one thing that, uh, to your previous question, the one thing that really surprised me, right, but it shouldn't have surprised me, was just how generous people are. I actually got an anonymous $2,000 donation from a leader that we all know who said, I want to be anonymous, but I want this book to get into the hands of uh, marginalized communities and those people who need the inspiration to see themselves in our industry. And I think you know, he was obviously hitting upon the EDI messaging, right, that we all encounter today. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I heard the other day, which really inspired me was, listen, in order for someone to get into renewables, right, or to be passionate about an industry, they have to see themselves in that industry. And that takes seeing leaders that they want to emulate, right? So, um, so yeah, so uh, many of those books will be donated to three organizations that, I, that I'm working with, CLI uh, being one, the Clean Energy Leadership Institute. Um, RISE will be another organization that the books will be distributed to. And then lastly, uh, ACOR itself has an accelerator program for uh, some really amazing yeah. startups. Uh, you know, so those books will be also going to some of the members there. So I was really happy that, uh, you know, I, I'm happy, but I'm also hopeful that this book does um, you know, nudge people towards us and go, hey, you know, you you have the power to do to create impact. Let's do it. There's nothing stopping you. This podcast has featured one of those members in a in the ACOR accelerator, uh, Laura Zapata, the CEO of Clearloop. So Perfect. that is, I think, episode 11 yeah. or 12. So you should go check that out. I, it's amazing to hear, um, you know, that the the other part of this mission for you was not just back padding for the industry to say, look at all the good we've done, but to think forward about these uh, untapped resources that we have out there in, in labor that um, 
you know, we, we don't reach enough. And I, I love that that's part of this, this approach. Um, and it's not just, you know, you said the celebration component of it there, it is, it is more of a mission. So I, I think you should be proud of that, that effort. And it's also back to the timing point on, you know, the IRA yeah. passing in your book coming out two months later, it's a lot easier to release a book that is celebrating an industry when times are not so gloom and doom <laughs> because that's how it, it kind of felt it yeah. Um, yeah. in the lead up to this <laughs> this surprise this surprise agreement that would you know 700 pages of legislation in the dead of night between Schumer and Manchin um it was it was kind of dark days can you put that in perspective a little bit for us just in your role even inside EDP yeah. and some other organizations that you've been in this industry hardens you oh it does so like where was your mind at um even even being an optimistic guy pre-IRA how were you feeling yeah no it just it definitely hazes you right um it definitely hazes you into <laughs> into uh being ready and, and having a thicker skin well you know listen I I have the daily privilege of working with uh, Tom Stars who in his own right is, is a solar uh, superstar, um, you know, having worked in uh, at SunPower and many other places, right, in the world of solar policy and yeah. serving on SIA's board and ACP's board and so forth. Uh, and let me tell you, it was hard watching folks like him who have been in the industry for so long, really fighting day and night uh, and, and just going through the roller coaster of what the last couple of months were like, right? And, and us also seeing all the challenges around this because, you know, it's it's great with the IRA passing, right? It opens up a lot of opportunities, but there still are challenges out there, right? We still have supply chain disruptions, yeah. right? We still have inflationary um, uh, acts happening right now, right? Inflationary powers happening. So there are a lot of a lot of other factors um, in the way, but I think it's more of those things of dividing conquer. Let's let's conquer this first, and let's then approach as an industry what's ahead of us. Um, you know, permitting and siding uh, permitting and siding is also a big issue. There, there's so many. Uh, delays there, right? So, I mean, and the more and more you go to uh, the ground level on, on project development, right, you see these issues. So I think in a lot of ways, this book um, shows that, you know, even those earlier stakers, believe uh, believe me, uh, they didn't have any easier than we do, right? They had it 10 times harder. But, uh, you know, they were formulating things, they were creating things for the first time, and they had to give validity and rationale to everything, right? Uh, and, you know, with the creation of PERPA and many of these other policies and, and regulatory bodies that were created, there was all rationale behind it that opened up opportunities. So, again, I think it's looking at, um, you know, what we currently have to work with, um, you know, and and giving it a, a spin, right, and saying, okay, well, with IRI now being passed, uh, let's move on to tackle these other issues. But, but, yeah, I think to your original question, and to be succinct, yeah, it was just tough to watch colleagues who have been in this fight for a long time just – being so much closer to getting this passed and then having to like retract yeah. and go back and go, okay, well, we have to go back to the drawing stages. But pe I think the most important thing is people didn't give up. They continued. Right. And I think in a lot of people's minds, they said, okay, if it doesn't get passed, we will figure a way we'll figure out a way. And I think that's, that's also um, something that's unique to renewables is we have an industry of people that do not give up, you know, when told no, Okay, it's no today, but we can yes to tomorrow, right? So they they keep on persisting, and I, you know that's one of the traits is persistence, and and in many ways stubbornness, even though it has such a negative connotation to it, you have to be stubborn, and you, sometimes you have to be thick headed and go, I I'm going to continue pushing on this because you know people like Scott Thorne and Bill Holmberg, you know, who started in the '70s, and you know they persisted. They were told many times no. They saw the industry flagging, right? 
biofuels and biomass, as you know, in the beginning, just it was a hard industry to be in. But they continued and persisted, right? And it's because of their persistence that we're all here today. I think you have a valuable perspective to share with our audience, too, just given your your career on the, the marketing side and the business development side. Now that um, the IRA is in place, that provides a ton of certainty for renewable energy mm-hmm. developers and, and all solutions providers, really, in this space. Now there's this growing focus, too, about how we engage in communities and how we present ourselves right. to to the country, but the rest of the world and and what uh, role uh, these development companies and others have mm-hmm. in making sure that we're not just flying in and bulldozing our way to to more solar, but really um, giving these communities equity. How do you see that playing out over the next several years and decade um, as we need to, to build a lot of projects and quickly mm-hmm. to meet the the goals outlined in the Paris Agreement and to to realize these benefits of the IRA. What struggles or, or headwinds could we encounter in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, working with communities hand in hand is pivotal to our success, right? And it's not only um, rural communities, right? So when we're talking about utility scale, wind or solar, right, we usually talk about rural communities. It's also urban communities and distributed generation, right? Distributed solar, distributed storage, you name it. Uh, funny enough, in the book, um, one of the first chapters is about Tracy LeBeau um, and uh, her work actually in the early days uh, working with local communities uh, in, in getting them to adopt renewable energy, especially in Alaska, and especially also dealing with uh, Native American uh, indigenous populations, right, and having them adopt renewables and see themselves in renewables. And what she said to me that was really um, eye-opening was, uh, the re- you know, she said to me one day uh, during the interview, Tom, listen, if these communities don't see themselves, don't see their own success in our projects, if they don't see themselves in these projects and being active participants in the development of these projects, you've already lost the community in day one, right? So I think for us, it's all about how do you engage those communities, right? Especially if we're talking the rural areas, how do we engage the communities? How do we be good neighbors? Because many of us are developing projects that are going to be there 25, 35, 40 years, right? We're going to be there, you know, longtime neighbors there. So we want to make sure that we are being good neighbors and that, uh, you know, in the maintenance and operations of these projects, we open up and avail opportunities for ONM, um, you know, uh, businesses and EPCs, right, to be set up by the local communities to help maintain these projects, right? So uh, it is about being smart. Um, It is about availing opportunities for the community to participate. Um, And it all goes back to also using our projects to help generate the future workforce. You know, it is about promotion of STEM education. It is providing internships, you know, via EPCs and, and those developing projects on the ground, right, to help mold this next generation of technicians, uh, of operators, right, of things like that. Um, you know, we're really proud here at EDP. Uh, you know, we had the first female operator of a solar farm in the United States, right? Uh, Natalie Curry, my colleague. And she and many others are examples of folks who are, are local in their communities who stepped up and said, I, I want to do something good about um, uh, good with renewables and, and be a, an example to others. And she has been a shining example to her community there in Arizona. Uh, but there are so many others, right, that have really stepped into the mold. So I think um, in terms of workforce development, uh, you know, in terms of getting community, local community colleges opportunities to develop programs around um, and, and involving the projects we're building is vital. And I think at the end of the day, it's also about uh, reaching out to communities that are underserved. Um, again, if we are trying to create a 21st century industry here, we need an industry that is diverse and that speaks to the diversity um, that we that we actually currently have and that we need to do more on. So that is reaching out to 
you know, suburban and urban centers. And when we distribute, when we build on distributed generation facilities, right, include those folks that usually um, have not had the opportunity to engage in a project, right, through internships, through workforce development programs. Um, you know, and, and lastly, you know, there's another program I want to give a shout out to, which is a, a program called Shine in Virginia. Uh, it's a workforce development program focused on southwestern Virginia, where the old, where a lot of coal facilities are being closed down and many new uh, utility scale uh, solar projects are being built. That program focuses on those communities and figuring out, well, how do we invest in those communities? And, and again, it's not about throwing money at communities. That never works. Um, people are smart, right? Uh, it's about giving a vision, giving an opportunity, and and being sincere with with our neighbors around our projects and, and engaging them in our projects, right? So I think community relations folks, you know, I have a great colleague, Julia McPherson, who I work with every day. She every day works with those communities to engage them. And I think that's where we need to invest more time, especially after the IRA, and um, and and be smart with workforce development. And it's, you know, we need to invest in our future, and it needs to begin today. Uh, and that includes all those smart uh, young ladies and, and young gentlemen, right, who are focusing on STEM education in high school. Those folks in five, six, seven, eight years will be in our workforce. We need to invest today to, you know, take care of that long-term, uh, long-term demand that we'll have. Well, Tom, it's clear that uh, like many in this industry, this is not just a job for you. And you are incredibly passionate about what you do and, and the, the messages that you share with the world about what our industry does. So, Thank you for that. Thank you for this book and for for sharing the you know the tales and maybe even some of the the hard points of this this journey um, for the clean energy industry and and those who have made it happen. So congratulations on we took the risk. It's out October first. And thanks for coming on Factor This. Definitely, John. Well, always a privilege. Thanks so much, and uh, very much welcome everyone's feedback on the book. And I you know it, at the end of the day, uh, after all that writing, it was fun to write the book. And, uh, you know, I look forward to everyone just joining me on this journey and reading the book and, uh, you know, hopefully being inspired to create an impact in renewables. Even if you've been in renewables like me for 18 years, right, we, we all still have the power to make an impact. And that's my call to action is, uh, listen, we all have the power to make an impact. Let's, let's take the risk again. took the risk will be available for purchase on october 1st there's a link in the show notes for you to pre-order or purchase depending on when you're listening to this next week you'll hear our live edition of factor this from re plus featuring cypress creek renewables q cells and light source bp on ramping up domestic solar manufacturing thanks for joining us for another edition of factor this from renewable energy world and thank you to next tracker for sponsoring this episode Factor This is a production of Renewable Energy World and Clarion Energy. Join us every Monday as we break down solar's most important topics with industry leaders who actually move the needle. And please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST 
to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.